Everybody, welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Father Tenboom, God's Man, by Corey Tenboom, with permission of Lighthouse Trails Publishing and the Tenboom Foundation. And we are on Chapter 6, Father and Others. Father and Mother belonged together. Father was a strong man who sustained Mother, who was weak in health, but strong in character. They worked as a team. As a couple, they shared deeply. Mother never complained, not even when needy persons were taken in at a time when the smallest expenditure had to be weighed carefully. Her body was weak, and yet she was full of energy. When she could no longer walk, she made a garden on the flat roof of the Baye and pulled herself around to tend her beloved plants. Father and mother lived life to the fullest. They understood the art of living, and that gave them greatly enlarged horizons. Though the quantity of material things was extremely limited, the quality of life was great. Neither was afraid to get involved with people who were in need. They shared their home, their food, their money, and their God. This kind of love relationship can stand the wear and tear of years of trials and troubles. After eight years of happily married life, Father wrote this to Mother, who was visiting friends in another place. Don't think that I have forgotten you. Even though I have not written for three days, on the contrary, I become more and more convinced that the Lord granted me an overwhelming privilege when he gave you to me. It may sound strange, but I think it is a proof of his great goodness that although he sustains me through so many difficulties, at the same time he causes me to be so thoroughly happy with you and our children. Perhaps the flame of my love may not burn as strongly as it is in the beginning, However, I can say that I have not abandoned my first love for you. It has never lessened. May the Lord grant that both of us may increase in love for each other and for him. We children were confident of our parents' interest in all of our experiences, and by their example, they encouraged our interest in other people. After an unexpected treat, when good friends had visited us, when we had sung and made music together, Father would often remark, Children, the greatest joy for us all is that these happy hours were just a little foretaste of the joys which we will experience in heaven. The best is yet to be. My parents loved company, music, good literature. They had the gift of being able to enjoy each other, the children, and the many other things that were important in their eyes. Life was different then, very different from now. Because of air travel, television, international lifestyles, We now live much more complicated lives. We are world citizens. Our bodies, souls, and minds are caught up, not just in our own problems, but in the concerns of the entire world. We must endure and suffer pollution, chaos, the challenge of money or the lack of it, financial breezes and storms, crime, terrorism, not only in our own countries, but all over the world. We cannot be indifferent to what happens in China, Belfast, Uganda, We are hurt and threatened by what happens there when things go wrong. Whenever I think of what I saw in Father's life, I see him as an officer in Jesus' army, fighting on the front lines, involved locally, nationally, and internationally, in so many opportunities as came his way. In fact, my father lived on a more international level than most people of his time, for he regularly studied books and magazines printed in four different languages. Father made his most important international contacts through the Union Hollinger 
a watchmaker's organization in which many European nations were represented. Once a year, he went to Switzerland for the organization's annual meeting. Besides the business meetings, there was always a banquet, and Father was one of the best speakers there. Here again, he saw the people who were neglected. The delegates from Czechoslovakia understood a little German, but nobody knew their language. How happy they were when Father, who gave a short talk in six languages, also gave a seventh talk in Czech. He had asked the help of one of the teachers in the Blitz school, who had written his Czech message out phonetically for Father. Still, the most important outlet for his wisdom, his love, and his daily attention was his hometown of Harlem, including the local organizations with which he worked. He became a member of the Rehabilitation Association, which took care of ex-prisoners and their families, and was elected chairman of the board after only a few weeks of service. He had an intense interest in every human being he met. He was loving, gifted, and hardworking. Whether he was in the Chamber of Commerce, the local school, or any other place where he was on the board, if he saw somebody being persecuted, ill-treated, or wrongly criticized, he rose to their defense. Everybody who was oppressed could count on his help. When the Nazis occupied Holland and forced the Jews to wear the yellow star of David so they could be quickly singled out for punishment or imprisonment, it was not surprising that Father reported in line to get his star of David. It was the only way at the moment for an old man to protest the oppression of his Jewish fellow men. His international citizenship was never more obvious than then. Once Father was hospitalized for a severe illness, each day a local newspaper reported on his condition until he was able to go home. Dutch people loved to take walks, and Father was eager to get out for a stroll again. His first walk after his recovery still stands out in my mind. What a lot of hands he had to shake. Little hands, big hands, hands calloused from hard labor and well-manicured soft hands. A car came by to stop beside us, and the mayor of Harlem stepped out to greet Father, saying, Thank God you're better. Grown men stood with tears of joy in their eyes as they greeted him. Harlem's grand old gentleman was back again. What was the source of his sensitivity towards people? What caused him to be so unashamedly loved by the people of his community? The cornerstone of his character was his steady and consistent walk with the Lord, his knowledge of and trust in the Bible. He believed the Bible was relevant for every part of his daily life. He started each day in the workshop with a word of prayer and a scripture reading with all of his family and workers. When he met anyone interested in the Bible, he did not hesitate to invite him or her to his Bible study groups. He once told us about the extraordinary combination in his group studying the book of Romans. There was agnostics, atheists, fundamentalists, a Calvinist, a liberal, and a Roman Catholic. Sitting behind his workbench in the shop, Father was an ambassador for Christ, a representative of heaven. His everyday life was to the honor of the Lord. People who came into the shop often stopped to watch Father work. They would walk into the workshop, lean against the table, and watch how he would carefully clean the watch he had undertaken to repair. Dutch Prime Minister Abraham Kuyper's daughter, a gifted young woman who wrote articles for magazines, often came and stood there, talking with Father or just watching his skillful hands. He was always ready to listen. He was always concerned for people. The eminent Professor Lorenz lived in our town, and he sometimes came to discuss his latest discoveries in chemistry with Father. I could not follow their conversations, but once he asked about the radium, which we put on the watches to make them visible in the dark. 
because father had read magazines in so many languages, he had learned about this latest discovery rather than his colleagues. He gave a few samples to the Professor Lorenz. It is a privilege that God gave me this opportunity to do something for such an important man, father said to me later. Sundays were the happiest days of the week. Everyone knew that a Christian did not work on Sundays. Not even needlework was allowed. The one labor still permitted was the winding of the watches that had been repaired and were being regulated. Father always said, I must milk my cows. However, he did not do the work in the shop, but brought the watches into our living room. In my mind, I still see his freshly brushed black suit, long and neatly trimmed beard, white hair and sparkling eyes. As he carefully wound each watch, he would sing Psalm 84. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee. Hospitality in the Baye. Once when Tata Anna was in the hospital, she found that Alida, her roommate, had no home. She had a live-in job, but she never had a place to spend her days off, so the Baye became her home. I remember she was used to crying very often. She was moved to tears when she was happy and when she was unhappy. I fear that I was not too patient with her since every time I hurt myself when I was a child, father would say, grit your teeth, be a big girl and don't cry. Mother did not agree. Cass, let her cry. It relieves the nerves, she would say. Alida once confessed, before I go to the Baye, I always cry a little bit in my room because I know it is not allowed in the Baye. Father was always interested in the people who came to us. In his prayers after the meal, he laid before his Heavenly Father all the problems which were in the lives and hearts of our guests. Once, when I started to make the bed of one of the guests, I saw that one of the sheets had been crumpled up and twisted into the shape of a rope. I asked Tatiana what had happened, and she went to our guest and asked her to explain. I'm so ashamed to tell you, was her reply. I was intending to hang myself with that sheet, but just as I was going to do it, I remembered Casper's prayer after the meal, and I stopped. Tante Cato's Birthday Party When I was young, Tante Cato, grandfather's sister, was still alive. She was father's favorite aunt and became a legendary figure for us children. Year after year, father took us to Amsterdam to visit her on her birthday. These pilgrimages were special events. Tante Cato was a very special lady with lively dark eyes. She ran a large kindergarten in Amsterdam, and that was always our first stop during our annual visits. Tante Cato greeted us delightfully, showed us through the school, and then we joined in the great celebration that the children of the kindergarten had planned. The last time I can remember, each child wore a soldier's cap and carried a little wooden sword. Tante Cato wore a cape and beat vigorously on a drum hanging around her waist. I can still see her, an 80-year-old woman, heading up the parade. She marched proudly around the big room with all the children behind her singing loudly. I remember thinking, I hope that when I am 80, I will be so fit and healthy that I will have as much fun as she is having with these children. In the evening, there was a little dinner which followed the same pattern every year. The dessert was followed by Father's birthday speech. He took his Bible from his pocket, read Psalm 103, and gave a well-prepared little talk. The reaction of Mina, the maid, was also not so young, was the same every year. She wore the old-fashioned maid's uniform, a dark blue dress with a long white apron. She was moved to tears every year and dried her eyes with the corner of her apron. Tante Cato did not shed a tear, but how happy she was to listen to what Father had said about the Lord, whom she loved with her whole heart. The Watchmaker, Counselor Many people sought advice from Father. The stability of his faith 
and his good common sense made him an excellent counselor. His judgment was never hasty. He took time to pray about the matter and think things over. Those who received help remember his rare ability to encourage and stimulate the good in others, a quality so necessary in counseling. Tainty Jane's husband, Hendrik Waldebrough, once had to make a decision concerning which of the two towns he should serve as a pastor. He chose the tiny town, Althwater, over the bigger town with more possibilities. After his decision, Father wrote him this letter. September the 15th, 1887. Dear Hendrick, no pen can describe how delighted I am that you have accepted the call to the pastorate Altwater. While I last wrote, I did not want to dissuade you in any way from going to Almorden, because I felt you had to make your choice yourself, alone, without any influence from those who love you. Now we thank the Lord from the bottom of our hearts that you gave the courage to do his will. Whatever the sacrifice is, the Lord will make it up to you. He has more to give you than this. I could not help thinking of the choice Lot made when he chose the fertile plains of Sodom. Your decision may seem a stupid move to many. For those in the world and out for advantage would rarely choose the Savior's way. You have acted as a man, as a prince, as one who aims straight at the gold. He that believeth shall not make haste. Isaiah 28:16. Just wait your time. You do not need to be afraid of anything. Who knows what God has in store for you? Hendrick later became a pastor in the big town of Rotterdam. On one of our morning walks, Father and I passed the bookstore of Mr. Volnhoff. He was a small man with lively eyes and a very pointed beard. Mr. Volnhoff was standing at the open door, and when he saw Father, he asked if he would step inside for a moment. In the little office behind the store, the old man told Father his problem. The owner of the house and store had to sell the property and offered it to Mr. Volnhoff, who rented it from him. However, the purchase would make an enormous drain on the small business. Father suggested that they pray about it and both knelt down on the office floor. It was an impressive sight, two dignified, bearded men humbly bowing before their God. When they rose, Father said, I am convinced you should buy the house. Mr. Valtahalt did so, and the following years confirmed it was the right decision. The bookstore is still there today and is a flourishing business. Whenever I pass it, I think of how important it is to acknowledge God in all our ways, including our business decisions. Father always used the Bible when he counseled. He knew that the needs of the people are not sufficiently met by human philosophies. He always knew that a Bible verse that precisely answered the need of those who came to him. I asked him once, Papa, do you learn by heart every text that you think will be useful for counseling people? No, he answered. It is the Lord who gives me the words I need. He mentioned Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He waketh morning by morning. He waketh mine ear to hear as a learned. The Lord desires far more than I to help these people, and he uses you and me. But girl, don't forget that every word you know by heart is a precious tool that he can use through you. I have often thought about those words during the freezing cold hours of the roll call in the concentration camp. The Holy Spirit would bring verses to my mind that I did not remember having learned. I would then use them in the Bible lesson later in the day. How precious it is when we have God's word hidden deep in the corners of our hearts. 
Next time it will be chapter 7, Throwing Out the Lifeline. I love you, I'm praying for you, and bye-bye for now.